Okay, before we begin, I, I want to tell you guys something. Um, so, this is funny. I'm not a super emotional guy, but I was literally just right before I came out, I was praying, and I just felt like compelled to tell you guys that, I don't know, the Lord is like really giving me a lot of just love for you. That's like weird, what? what? But he just has, like I feel God's like love for you guys. Um, and that's just cool. I don't know what it is. I think just whatever I get to like teach you about the Bible and the Lord's just like, hey, he's just, I think he's like giving me his love for you guys. So I just want to say I love you, even though it's kind of weird and I know we barely know each other and it's, you know, like the awkward, but whatever, love you guys. And so um, part of that, part of the way that God made me to love you is to teach the Bible to you. And that's something that I love to do. Um, and so I want you to know that like, I'm really excited to teach the Bible to you and really like thankful I get to do that, even the book of Leviticus. And in advance, I just want you to know, okay, so it's, we're going to read like over 45 verses of Leviticus tonight. So it may take five minutes. And, uh, and then when we actually like get into it, there are some kind of like heavy things today, um, things that aren't super easy to say. So just in case you're like, why does he hate us? I want you to know right now that I love you. And that's why I'm going to teach a lot of Leviticus to you. But honestly, it's gonna be really good. Um, So flip to Leviticus chapter six. And we're going to start at verse eight. And then we're going to read all the way to seven and then all the way through seven to chapter eight. So this is all kind of like one section, chapter six, verse eight to verse seven or chapter seven, verse 38. So I'm going to read that. Uh, You can do this. You can follow along. I recommend getting a Bible. It helps if you're visual. If you're auditory, maybe just listen, just enjoy the Bible. Um, And hey, if you're kinetic, there's kinetic learners. Literally, you could like go stand in the back. That's what I would have to do. If I had to hear hear 45 verses of Leviticus, I have to like stand up. That's not weird, no problem. Um, Okay, Leviticus chapter six, verse eight. Here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. Now, okay, I'm sorry. I hate when people do this. I'm gonna do this real quick. So just to frame what we're about to do, we're about to read all the offerings all over again because in, in case you haven't got enough of the offerings. So we finished the offerings. Um, now, chapter six and seven are basically like a rehash of the offerings, but from the perspective of the priest, okay? So you've already heard them from the perspective of like a person in a congregation. Now God is giving special direction to the priests and he's gonna say, hey, now for this offering, this offering, this offering, this offering, this is what you have to do. So that's what this, what's about to happen. If it sounds familiar, it is familiar. Okay, here we go. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, command Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the burnt offering. The burnt offering shall be on the hearth on the altar all night until morning. And the fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. And the priest shall put on his linen garment and put his linen undergarment on his body. And he shall take up the ashes to which the fire has reduced the burnt offering on the altar and put them beside the altar. Then he shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. The fire on the altar shall be kept burning on it. It shall not go out. 
The priest shall burn wood on it every morning and he shall arrange the burnt offering on it and shall burn on it the fat of the peace offerings. Fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. And this is the law of the grain offering. The sons of Aaron shall offer it before the Lord in front of the altar. And one shall take from it a handful of the fine flour and of the grain offering and its oil and all the frankincense that is on the grain offering and burn this as its memorial portion on the altar, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the rest of it Aaron and his sons shall eat. It shall be eaten unleavened in a holy place. In the court of the tent of meeting, they shall eat it. It shall not be baked with leaven. I have given it as their portion of my food offerings. It is a thing most holy, like the sin offering and the guilt offering. Every male among the children of Aaron may eat of it, as, it, as decreed forever throughout your generations from the Lord's food offerings. Whatever touches them shall become holy." The Lord spoke to Moses saying, this is the offering that Aaron and his sons shall offer to the Lord on the 10th day when he is anointed, a 10th of an ephah of fine flour, a regular grain offering, half of it in the morning and half in the evening. It shall be made with oil on a griddle. You shall bring it well mixed in baked pieces like a grain offering and offer it for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. The priest from among Aaron's sons who is anointed to succeed him shall offer it to the Lord as decreed forever. The whole of it shall be burned. Every grain offering of a priest shall be wholly burned. It shall not be eaten. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons saying, this is the law of the sin offering. In the place where the burnt offering is killed shall the sin offering be killed before the Lord. It is most holy. The priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. In a holy place it shall be eaten in the court of the tent of meeting. Whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on a garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. And the earthenware vessel in which it is boiled shall be broken. But if it is boiled in a bronze vessel, that shall be scoured and rinsed in water. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It is most holy. But no sin offering shall be eaten from which any blood is brought into the tent of meeting to make atonement in the holy place. It shall be burned up with fire. Chapter seven. This is the law of the guilt offering. It is most holy. In the place where they killed a burnt offering, they shall kill the guilt offering and its blood shall be thrown against the sides of the altar and all its fat shall be offered. The fat tail, the fat that covers the entrails, the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver that he shall remove with the kidneys. The priest shall burn them on the altar as a food offering to the Lord. It is a guilt offering. Every male among the priests may eat of it. It shall be eaten in a holy place. It is most holy. The guilt offering is just like the sin offering. There is one law for them. The priest who makes atonement with it shall have it. And the priest who offers any man's burnt offering shall have for himself the skin of the burnt offering that he has offered. And every grain offering baked in the oven and all that is prepared on a pan or a griddle shall belong to the priest who offers it. And every grain offering mixed with oil or dry shall be shared equally among all the sons of Aaron. And this is the law of the sacrifice of peace offerings that one may offer to the Lord. If he offers it for a thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the thanksgiving sacrifice unleavened loaves mixed with oil, unleavened wafers smeared with oil, and loaves of fine flour well mixed with oil. 
With the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall bring his offering with loaves of leavened bread. And from it, he shall offer one loaf from each offering as a gift to the Lord. It shall belong to the priest who throws the blood of the peace offerings. And the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offerings for thanksgiving, he shall be eaten, shall be eaten on the day of his offering. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow offering or a freewill offering, it shall be eaten on the day he offers his sacrifice, and on the next day what remains of it shall be eaten. But what remains of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day shall be burned up with fire. If any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten on the third day, he who offers it shall not be accepted, neither shall it be credited to him. It is tainted. He who eats of it shall bear his iniquity." Flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. All who are clean may eat flesh. But the person who eats of the flesh of the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings, while an uncleanness is on him, that person shall be cut off from his people. And if anyone touches an unclean thing, thing, whether human uncleanness or an unclean beast or any unclean detestable creature, then eat some of the flesh from the sacrifice of the Lord's peace offerings. That person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, you shall eat no fat of ox or sheep or goat. The fat of an animal that dies of itself and the fat of one that is torn by beast may be put to another use, but on no account shall you eat it. For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which the of which where am I of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, you shall eat no blood, whatever, whether of fowl or animal in any of your dwelling places. Whoever eats any blood, that person shall be cut off from his people. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to the people of Israel saying, whoever offers the sacrifice of his peace offerings to the Lord shall bring his offering to the Lord from the sacrifice of his peace offerings. His own hands shall bring the Lord's food offerings. He shall bring the fat with the breast that the breast may be waved as a wave offering before the Lord. The priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be for Aaron and his sons. And the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a contribution from the sacrifice of your peace offerings. Whoever among the sons of Aaron offers the blood of the peace offerings and the fat shall have the right thigh for a portion. For the breast that is waved and the thigh that is contributed, I have taken from the people of Israel out of the sacrifices of their peace offerings and have given them to Aaron, the priest, and to his sons as a perpetual due from the people of Israel. This is the portion of Aaron and of his sons from the Lord's food offerings from the day they were presented to serve as priests to the Lord. The Lord commanded this to be given them by the people of Israel from the day he anointed them. It is a perpetual due throughout their generations. This is the law of the burnt offering, of the grain offering, of the sin offering, of the guilt offering, of the ordination offering, and of the peace offering, which the Lord commanded Moses on Mount Sinai on the day that he commanded the people of Israel to bring their offerings to the Lord in the wilderness of Sinai. That's the word of God. Let's pray. Jesus, we honestly thank you and rejoice that we have this book that is from you, God. It is your holy living word. 
God, I thank you that um, it's the sword of the Spirit. And so, Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. Help, help our minds to comprehend. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and like hearts to be hungry to understand more about you, Jesus, and more about your word and more about who you say that we are and how you call us to live. Jesus, I, I ask that um, even as there, there's some like, going to be some kind of intense things that, that, you, that you have kind of hidden here in your word. I just pray that you would, um, you would allow me to like be faithful to your word, um, that, that I wouldn't dull any sharp edges, that I wouldn't be afraid to say what you have said, but then also that I would do it in love, God, and, and gently and tenderly, Lord. So we just, we thank you for your word. We now just like submit ourselves to it. We say, whatever you say, God, we accept. Whatever you declare, like we say that is right and we will obey it. We thank you for your word. It's, and thank you for this, this room, God, that these people would come and spend their Friday nights like sitting at your feet, Jesus. Thank you for that. Thank you for them. Would you bless them? Would you um, just like honor this sacrifice they've given of their time to you, Lord? Would you bless it? Would it reap so much fruit in their life? We love you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... Leviticus 1 began with the Lord speaking to Moses, and he said, speak to the people of Israel, okay? So Leviticus starts off, and God's like, I want you to tell Israel this. Leviticus 6, what we just read, starts off, and he says, command Aaron and his sons, okay? So this is like a rehash, like what I said, but the audience now is for the priests. The audience is for the priests. These two chapters are for the priests to be read. Now, you could be like, okay, honestly, why do we care about something that priests that don't even exist anymore like had to do? Uh, number two, I'm not even a, I'm not a priest. Um, we don't even have priests. Like, why are we studying this? And and I want just to quickly remind you that every story in the Bible and every commandment to whoever, if it's included in this book, is actually for you. It's kind of crazy, but like private conversations God had with someone, if it's in this book. It's for you. This, this is God's word and it's for us. So even it's like, what is this? This is to the priest. It's also for you. And I want you to know that. Number two, I want you to know that you actually are a priest. Did you know that? If you're a Christian, the Bible calls you a priest. And so when you learn about priests in the Old Testament, you're learning about your identity. That's kind of crazy and interesting, but it's true. First uh, Peter 2.5 says this. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. You are a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So you are a priest and you are to offer sacrifices. Crazy. So you get to learn something about your identity. And then last, why are we doing, why are we reading this? What is this for? Uh, if you're a Christian, you actually do have a priest currently. Uh, his name's Jesus. Jesus is your high priest. I mean, you may don't think about Jesus that way, but Jesus is still a priest and he's your high priest. And so not only do these two chapters teach you something about your identity and your calling, they teach you about Jesus and they teach you about his identity and they teach you about what Jesus does for you, did for you, is still doing for you. And I just love, and I'll spoil this right now, this whole book, Leviticus, it's about Jesus. From start to finish, it's like dripping with Jesus. And I didn't know that for many years and that's why I hated the book. Um, but when I like saw that key, you guys, this is, these two chapters teach us some really 
amazing things about Jesus. Like there's just foreshadowing about Jesus. And so um, we're going to look at these two chapters and we're going to do it in just three simple points. Just want to keep it simple and clear. Um, Three qualities of a priest. Okay. So like in some sense, this is kind of like your job description. If you're a Christian, there's three parts to to it as a priest. Um, I'm not going to tell you one at a time. So the first One is this, the first quality of a priest, the first part of your identity as a priest from these two chapters is that a priest displays heavy spiritual truth in everything he does, okay? So a priest is displaying like hidden spiritual truth in every little thing that he does. And in this chapter, the truth that the, the priest is displaying is actually like heavy, weighty truth, okay? And you, as you live, you like, you communicate to the world something about God. And so all the blood, all the special clothing and underwear, if you caught that, all the sacrifices, they're communicating, they're displaying something about God. They're displaying, they're like speaking something about God. I just today read this verse in Revelation. I didn't even include it. There is a temple in heaven right now. I didn't even know that. There's like a heavenly temple. And all of this stuff is like a copy of what's going on in heaven. So like this stuff is like eternal and it matters. And there's these symbols. They're not just like practical and oh yeah, we just do it because we do it. Like these are like deep spiritual truth that God gave us. And like, we're like, okay, yeah, that's, we do that because like it just makes sense. But like there is so much depth and truth to everything in the temple, in the tabernacle, in what the priests do. And um, the, the truth I want to really focus on is, I don't know if you noticed, in the beginning of chapter 6, it talked a lot about fire. And it talked a lot about, um, verse 9, the burnt offering shall be on the hearth, on the altar, all night. Okay, so the fire, and it says, and the fire of the altar shall be kept burning on it. Verse 12, the fire on the altar shall be kept burning. It shall not go out. The priest shall burn wood on it every morning. Verse 13, the fire shall be kept burning on the altar continually. It shall not go out. Okay, so there's something going on here that's pointing to something. And it's like, God's like, hey, that fire, don't let it go out. Like, do not let that fire go out. Uh, In a couple chapters, it's not lit yet. We're just getting instructions. God from heaven lights the fire. And in some sense, he's like, you better keep that thing lit because that's like from me. Like it's like heavenly fire. Sorry, I won't say it. Um, So there's, God is saying, I want you to keep this fire burning. So what's going on? Number, there's two things. And the first one is easy. The second one is hard. The first one, fire, what is fire in the Bible? Think about fire. What does fire represent? Um, Do you remember when God showed up to Moses? How'd he do it? First time. Fire, burning bush, right? Um, when God was leading his people in the middle of the night, how'd he do it? It's a cool pillar of fire, right? Um, Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, he came what? Like flaming tongues of fire. God's presence, and, and, and that's just a metaphor God uses throughout the Bible, is like the Holy Spirit is like fire in us. John the Baptist said Jesus would baptize us with the Holy Spirit and with fire, okay? So, in Revelation, there's this scene, Revelation chapter four. Do you know what's going on in the throne right now? Let me tell you. 
From the throne came flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. Like if we could see the throne, we would be, like we couldn't, we, we'd die. Just burning spirits of God. The Holy Spirit in some mysterious ways is just seven spirits burning before the throne. So God is saying, visually displaying, I want you to keep that fire burning because I want you to remember that I, God, am with you always. I am with you. That fire doesn't go out. The Holy Spirit doesn't like peace out. I'm out, I'm out, I'm out of here. God is wanting the, the priests to display, hey, keep that fire burning because I am with you right now. God is with us right now. Just trip out on that. If we had a little fire just right here, just be representing like God is with us right now. And um, yeah, I'll keep that for later. So, so that first sense is God saying, I'm always with you. Keep that fire burning. And theoretically, we don't know for sure, but like for at least 40 years in the wilderness, like they just kept the fire burning, like the Olympic torch, just keep it going as we're moving. I don't know how they did that, but the fire was going. And now there's a, there's a second truth. Um, maybe you're familiar with this, but the uh, fire also represents something else in the Bible. And um, it often represents punishment and judgment of God. Uh, when, when we think about um, like Sodom and Gomorrah, he destroyed it with fire. When... Um, in Hebrews 12, 29, it's like a warning to like not drift from God because it says our God is a consuming fire. Um, in Revelation 8, 5, there's this picture. Let me just read it. Then the angel took the censer filled with fire from the altar, from the heavenly temple, and hurled it on the earth. And there were rolls of thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. So in a couple chapters, some priests, it's a good story. I'm excited to get to it. Uh, they, maybe it's sad, but they just do an offering poorly in like pride and fire just comes out from the Holy of Holies and kills them on the spot. That happens. So fire, while it represents the presence of God and it's, it's, it's related, it represents judgment because God is holy, right? And Leviticus is showing us over and over and over again, God is holy, like the sun. Fire, yes, but like you don't just want to like jump into flames of fire, right? That's dangerous. God is holy. And so while it represents his presence, it also represents like this perfection. And um, the picture God uses almost every time for hell is fire. Jesus said in Matthew 25, and this is so, Jesus is going to say this one day. Jesus, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Jesus says in Mark 9, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And then he says, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. So the Bible constantly uses this heavy picture of God's holiness and judgment at the same time. Revelation 14, the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. And then 2 Thessalonians, they will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction. So part of the duty of the priest is to keep that fire going, a perpetual fire, a fire that does not go out. 
and it's communicating, it's communicating something really, really gnarly. And remember that uh, he's talking about the burnt offering. And if you were here when we talked about the burnt offering, the burnt offering was the offering. It was the first one. You kill the animal, you put it on, and none of the animal was spared. It was completely burned. It was called the burnt offering. Completely burned, and it's a picture. It's, a, it's representing God's holiness, and it's representing what happens to sin in the presence of God. Completely consumed, burned, nothing left. So that, that's the context. Keep the fire burning for the burnt offering. So I want us to just kind of look at it from two angles. First, the fire shall be kept burning. And then second, we're going to look at the burnt offering. Okay, so why does the fire need to be continually burning? Um, God is also communicating at all times, at any moment in the camp, you could look and God's saying like, I'm holy and I'm still holy and I'm always holy and I don't stop being holy. Like that's, that's something that I'm not like on Sundays and Wednesdays and then I'm nice on other days. Like I am always holy and you need to see that at all times. There was, I was reading a commentary and it's, it was like making this scenario. It said like a father could take his son out of his tent and look and see the fire at any given time and say, son, like, that too will be you if you don't repent. Oh my gosh. Like you, this is a literal visual image all the time. You just look to that fire and you can see the holiness of God and you can see God's punishment and hatred of sin at all times. And um, all you had to do, it was literally at all times, you just could look over and you just see smoke going up. You see smoke going up all the time. And that's because God is always holy. And that's because hell is eternal. And it's not just like, do you know what, burn it up, done. Like he's saying, I want you to keep that fire going. It's communicating this heavy, heavy truth. But, and if that's like, oh my gosh, do you know what is also to be kept on the fire at all times? A burnt offering is always to be burning on the fire. So as heavy as that is, God is holy and that is his eternal punishment for sin. On top of that, is a sacrifice that takes away sin. And at any given moment, while you're like, God is so holy, you can also know that there is an animal taking my place right now on top of that fire. The offering, the escape, God's love and provision is also always on display. Always on display. Man, I'm a sinner. I, I don't deserve this. You can look and see the smoke and know like, no, my burnt offering is, was on that this morning. And I can see that God is holy and he's just, but he's also loving and merciful. And both of those things are just on display at all times. God is gnarly and he's holy and he hates sin and he provides a way out. He provides a sacrifice, a substitute for me. The same God who judges is the one who provides the escape. Just think about that. It's not like God's like, hey, do this and good luck. Yeah, and, and you know what? This, this points us to Jesus, right? This points us to Jesus. Jesus is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the one who took your place and my place on that fire for eternity. He's the judge and the one who is judged. God's like, I'm holy and perfect, and I'm going to judge myself and, and bear the wrath and holiness of me. That's God's love for you and love for the world. Yes, he is holy and, and, and perfect, and he also provides a sacrifice. And, and do you know what else, why that fire needs to keep going? It's because the cross never runs out. 
The grace of God never runs out. It just keeps going and going and going. Jesus paid the price that we deserve, satisfied it in full, and at all times, you can see that. That is so good, you guys. And um, honestly, like, didn't, wasn't planning on talking about hell. Um, and I know it's not an easy thing to talk about, but I was even, and I was even like, man, what would be helpful when thinking about hell? Um, and I think it'd be helpful to just acknowledge that there are many, many, many Christian pastors and teachers who will like try to wiggle out of hell because it's hard and horrible and it's not like an easy thing to know that people will literally suffer for their sin forever. Um, I think it'd be helpful to acknowledge like, hey, you may hear there's another way to be saved. Even though the Bible says no other name, that's, that comes up. There's another one that says, hey, hell actually won't last forever. The fire doesn't last forever. It's like intense for a bit and then it goes away. Um, you, you may hear like just the sentiment. It's like an emotional appeal. Like the God I know would never do that. And that's, that's a pretty powerful one. It may be, not be logical or from the Bible, but it, it like carries emotional weight, right? The God I know would never do that. Um, another one is hell is real, but it's going to be empty. Praise God. No one's going there. That's a pretty common one. Um, or, or hell has an escape hatch. Like whenever you want, you can leave. Um, that's a pretty popular idea. I'm going to read you a quote of like a really prominent, I'm not going to tell you who it is, a really prominent Christian writer who in this, he's, he's kind of led the way in some areas. And he, this is what he says. I was led to question the traditional belief in everlasting conscious torment, which is horrible to think about, everlasting conscious torment because of moral revulsion and broader theological considerations. It does not, it just does not make any sense to say that a God of love will torture people forever for sins done in the context of a finite life. It's time for evangelicals to come out and say that the biblical and morally appropriate doctrine of hell is annihilation, which means like you're gone, not everlasting torment. It's really popular. That's, that's going to happen. Um, and, and all I would, well, I'm going to read you this other quote. So there's, there's this woman, she's a uh, her name's Dorothy Sayers. If you know her, if you're into literature, she was like a contemporary of C.S. Lewis. Um, she's like pretty sassy. And she's, she has a really good quote. I'm just going to read it. There seems to be a kind, I wish I could be British. There seems to be a kind of conspiracy, especially among middle-aged writers of a vaguely liberal tendency to forget or to conceal where the doctrine of hell comes from. One finds frequent references to the cruel and abominable medieval doctrine of hell or the childish and grotesque medieval imagery of physical fire and worms. But the case is quite otherwise. Let us face the facts. The doctrine of hell is not medieval. It is Christ's. It is not a device of medieval priestcraft for frightening people into giving money to the church. It is Jesus's deliberate judgment on sin. The imagery of the undying worm and the unquenchable fire derives not from medieval, medieval superstition, but from the prophet Isaiah. And it was Christ who emphatically used it. It confronts us in the oldest and least edited of the gospels. It is explicit in many of the most familiar parables and implicit in many more. 
It bulks far larger in the teaching than one realizes until one realizes the evangelist, until one reads the evangelist through, instead of picking out the most comfortable texts, one cannot get rid of it without tearing the New Testament to tatters. We cannot repudiate hell without altogether repudiating Christ. And I think, um, I think this is just one of those times where it's like, hey, thank God for this book. And that, that we have like, man, I, I'm just going to trust what Jesus says. I don't always like it. It's not always easy. But it's, it's really clear and it's here. And um, hell on the surface feels so like repulsive. And why would God do that? Um, but let me, I'm going to read you one more little quote from one of my favorite pastors. He said this. Oh, what a difference it makes when one believes in hell with trembling and with tears. There is a seriousness over all of life and an urgency in all our endeavors and a flavor of blood earnestness that seasons everything and makes sin feel more wicked and righteousness feel more righteous and life feel more precious and relationships feel more profound and God appear more weighty. Um, I really quick want just, I think this is helpful. I want to just address maybe one, one area of like, let's, let's get into this a little bit on, I think the most common question that comes up is, is hell really fair? Like, is it really just? Why would God do this? The fact that the fire never goes out, like, and God created those people. And they just, I can't imagine God doing that. Um, this, this, like, I've personally really wrestled through difficult doctrines in the Bible. Um, and I've interacted with people who say, like, this issue of hell is the reason why, like, they can't be a Christian. Or they can't be a Christian the way I'm a Christian and, like, take this literally. Um, and that, that one comes up. Like, is this really fair? Is this okay of God to do? Um, and two really helpful things. Number one, I think we forget about uh, the nature of the offender. Okay, so me, I'm the guilty one. I think we forget about that. That I think sometimes we think it was like an accident and I stumbled into and I didn't know about Jesus and now I'm gonna get punished for it forever. You know, it's like you break something and now I'm going to hell forever. I think we often think of it that way. We, we talk of the innocent person in wherever. Um, and I think we, we forget the honest picture the Bible has of humans that there's no such thing as an innocent person who stumbles along and is trying to do their best. Like the Bible has a pretty honest view of humans that while we're in the image of God and he loves us, we're honestly pretty wicked. We're born in sin and our desire is, is, is not to honor God. And we have to be rescued from that. And then, and then this is crazy, but we're like, yeah, but hell forever, like maybe just an appropriate amount of time. Do you know what's crazy is the people in hell never repent. They are eternally rebelling against God. Just think that's so heavy, but that's true. The Bible, there's, we got this parable of this guy in hell and he's not sorry, he's just asking for relief. Like these, there will be people who forever reject Jesus. And, and that's pretty heavy. So that's number one, the nature of the offender. Um, but even more important is the nature of the offended, of God, the nature of God. Um, we kind of get this, like if I were to kill an ant, Maybe some of you would be like, why did you have to kill the ant? Um, maybe if I were to like kill a rat, it would stir up a little bit more. Like maybe some animal activists, like 
what are you doing? Um, but maybe not like get in that much trouble. If I kill my neighbor's dog, definitely like next level, right? Next level punishment, next level just, um, we, so we see like, okay, um, if, if someone were to kill a human being, all of a sudden we're like, we, we understand that the, the weight of the offense is, is, goes up in terms of the weight of the one offended. The, the value, we, we know killing a human's bad because humans are valuable, right? Like, why would you, you can't kill a human, they're so valuable. You're more valuable than an ant. You're more valuable than even a dog. Um, so we get that, we get that. And how about this, you kill a president or a leader of a country, like we all understand, like you're probably gonna, it's gonna be worse for you than if you were just to kill a regular human. Now, God is the highest and most valuable being in the universe. He's not like, he's not a human. He is the most infinitely valuable thing in the universe. And when we sin, we sin against him. And I think when we have a a deeper understanding of the holiness and the weightiness and the worth of God, like our sin, the more holy God is, the worse we're able to see our sin is. Um, I know that's helpful to you. That's like a little bit of some reasons and apologetics. I, you guys, at the end of the day, we, like, we just have to submit to, to Jesus and to his word. And his word is really clear. God is holy and we deserve punishment forever. And thank God that he sent his son to be punished for us in our place, to take the wrath of God, to have it all poured out on him. Thank God that there is the gospel. Thank God that we can be saved and rescued. Thank God that we can go to those who don't yet know the name of Jesus and tell them, and God saves them and rescues them from eternal punishment, from a fire that never goes out. Praise God for the gospel. And so that's the first kind of description of a priest, that they are displaying these heavy, gnarly truths about God. Um, that's a heavy one. We're going to move on. It's not as heavy. The second point and the second quality of you as a priest and of these priests is that a priest handles holy things, okay? And I have a quick story to help us get this. So when I was 15 and I was learning to drive, my mom just got a new car and we never really had nice cars, but like it was our first nicer car we ever got. And it was a BMW X5. If you guys know it, like just not, I mean, nice maybe, but like it can drive really well. Um, and that's what I got to learn to drive in because, you know, you're just like driving your parents' car. So I'm learning to drive in this BMW and um, I think it's affected me. That's, my, that's what I blame my driving on. Like, oh, I just was shaped with a BMW. Um, and so I, there was this freak thing where I bought a truck and it like had to get serviced and my mom was going to do it for me. And so I got, I had my license and I got to take my mom's BMW to school that day, right? Which is like, you know, those kids. Um, But I was like, I don't care. I'll be that kid. I'm going to drive this BMW to school. Be like, look at my BMW. Um, And I was just being an idiot. And I was just like being all that 16 year old would be with his mom's BMW. Um, and so I was just going throughout my day, like, just, hey, you want to go to the parking lot? You want to check out my car? And at, at some point, I don't know if I should tell this story from my perspective. I'll tell it from my perspective first. I go, end of the day, go to the parking lot. The BMW is gone. 100% gone. My mom's BMW is gone. And you're 16. And the weight of, like, I, I, I honestly maybe have suffered consequences still. It was such a traumatic, like, what have I done? 
what have I done? And I found out later my friends were just like messing with me, like, let's get these keys and move the car because he's such an idiot. And like, I can still feel the weight of like, I, what have I done? Um, priests get to handle the holy things of God, okay? That's part of what a priest does. God is like, I'm entrusting you with really holy things. And like he uses words like, it is most holy. And only clean, pre- clean priest can eat the, the holy sacrifices in a clean place. And it has to, be, has to be eaten in a holy place. And if an unclean person eats this holy thing, he should, he's cut off forever. And no fat can be eaten and no blood can be eaten. Like God is saying, he's communicating like I am holy and all of these little things, these random things that priests do, they're like handling the things that belong to God. In some sense, they're handling the holiness of God. Like if you could hold the holiness of God, that's kind of what the priests did. And, and the, the first point here is just like, so it was just my mom's car. We are called, we are like, you have been bought at a price. Like you are precious to God. You belong to God. And so how we treat each other is not just like, think about that. Think about the fact that like how you treat someone is how you're treating this, something that God purchased with his own blood. God is communicating like, hey, I want you to handle my things with much care for I am holy. And do you know what's crazy? You couldn't even worship if you were unclean because God was so holy and he wanted us to take that seriously. And um, there's, there's a point of application there. So the priest, if they were unholy, if they were unclean, they, like, they could not go do a sacrifice. It would ruin the sacrifices for everyone and he would be cut off forever. And God is saying, listen, I don't want you to just live your life how you want to live it and then come worship me and like do your th- religious thing and then move on. And, and that applies now. That applies right now to all of our lives. When, this, is, this is crazy. When we approach God um, and, our, and our lives aren't clean, I think, I, do you know what I think we actually do is like we abuse the gospel and think, thank God for the gospel. So I'm gonna live how I wanna live. And then I'm gonna go to church and I'm gonna be reminded of the gospel. Now I'm gonna go live how I'm gonna live. And, and what we're doing in that moment is we're like, we're like spitting on the holiness of God. It would be like a, a priest, like I'm gonna go do wicked things and then I'm just gonna go do the sacrifices and do it all right. Listen, it wasn't the sacrifices at the end of the day that made someone holy. God, he, he was like, I, I don't really care about sacrifices that much at the end of the day. Like I desire your obedience and your heart to love me and walk with me. And um, there's a really crazy verse in Hebrews 10. And, and I think we have to, we need to hear this as Christians because Man, I'm really thankful and proud even that you guys are like, I want to be with Jesus on Friday night. But we can be really tempted to go do whatever we want to do on Saturday morning because we went to church on Friday night. We can be really tempted to go do whatever we want to do Saturday night. We can be really tempted like, man, I went to church on a Friday night. I'm, I'm a priest. I did all this stuff. So like, it doesn't really matter how I live. And it, it actually really matters to God how you live your life. It really really matters. Uh, Hebrews 10, verse 19. I'm gonna read a few verses. It says this. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, 
And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God? And has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. Man, we can outrage the spirit of grace. And I think holiness just really matters. And it still matters. It matters that we live a holy life. Um, And that's that's some of us maybe. And then I think there's other of us who are like, honestly, I I know I'm dirty. Like, you don't have to convince me. I feel unholy. I feel like why I can't even approach that temple, that tabernacle, because I'm dirty. And there's, uh, even in Leviticus, there's this amazing picture of the gospel. Um, Chapter 6, verse 27. This is really cool. It says, whatever, it's talking about a sacrifice that was made, whatever touches its flesh shall be holy. And when any of its blood is splashed on the garment, you shall wash that on which it was splashed in a holy place. Okay, so there's this picture here, like, yeah, God is so holy and we're not. But even in Leviticus, there's this idea that when something is holy, touches something that is unholy, actually that unholy thing becomes holy. Isn't that crazy? It's actually not the other way around. Even in Leviticus, if, a, if you were unclean and you touched it, it was like, I became holy. And if something gets splashed onto my garment, it's holy. And that is a picture of something else beautiful that was to come when God himself would leave heaven and be so holy and would touch unclean lepers and sinners and prostitutes and make them clean. This woman who was bleeding for 12 years, who was ritually unclean, Jesus, she touched the edge of his garment. She's clean forever. When something touches Jesus, it becomes clean. When something dirty, like me and my sin, touches Jesus, I become holy. And, and this is so cool. As a priest, this is not, it's crazy. As you're sacrificing animals, you would get blood on your like, garment. You get blood on your garment. And that picture of blood on a garment is, is actually a picture of what happens to you when you get sprinkled with the blood of Jesus. Listen to this prophecy in Zechariah 3. Zechariah was a high priest representing us. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord. So just picture you standing before the Lord. And Satan standing at his right, okay? This is a scene. At his right hand to accuse him. So this is, this is us here this happens, Satan is standing right here and he's accusing you. And he's actually accusing you to God. He's accusing you. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, O Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, 
remove the filthy garments from him. And he said, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. And in Revelation, do you know what's going to be said of you? They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Do you know what makes you clean is when the blood of Jesus gets on you. That's crazy. When you get washed in the blood of Jesus, you are declared clean forever. You are holy forever. You are made well. And right now, if you feel there's this area of your life and I feel unclean and I feel unholy, if, if literally there are like demonic spirits on you, in you, and it feels unclean and unholy, you can come to Jesus and his blood will make you clean. His blood will make you holy. That, that's what happens when Jesus and his blood gets on you. And the third aspect of being a priest from these two chapters is uh, a priest is faithful and he's faithful in the little things. Um, so he had to keep the fire burning, right? If you've ever like kept a fire, even if you dump so much wood on it, it lasts for a couple hours and then the fire goes out, which means that you were a priest, you had to like wake up at two in the morning and put wood on the fire and then go back to sleep. And like, whose job is it now? And you literally in the middle of the night had to make sure the fire doesn't go out. And by the way, that was an unfinished job. You never finish. Hey, good job, you kept the fire going. Like, it never ends. And no one notices. And no one's saying, good job keeping the fire going. Like, nobody notices that. You're just doing the fire thing. Um, That's part of what it means to be a priest. And uh, that actually has some significance for you. Honestly, let me ask you, like, how's how's your fire with and for the Lord? Like, is is it burning? Are you keeping that going? Honestly, are you, are you quenching it with sin? Are you quenching the spirit with, with living how you want? Like literally, it requires you to like be up late in the night with Jesus. Jesus was up late with his father. It requires you to be up early in the morning with Jesus. Like, do you do that? It, it, it's, it takes a lot of work and it's like small things. It's like, I'm sacrificing sleep. I'm gonna set this aside. And it's constant and it's never ending and it's like keeping that fire burning. And it doesn't take long for it to grow cold. Like for me, literally it takes almost nothing. And I'm like, I am not feeling near to Jesus. Um, an image is, are you putting, because there are times, honestly, and I know it, where it's just dry and like, I read my Bible, I worship, I do everything I can possibly do and I like don't love God. I'm like, I'm trying. That happens, there are seasons of that. Um, and to be honest, like that fire comes from heaven. We can't like stir it up. We can't work it up. But there, there are things, I like the metaphor that your heart, you can put like kindling around your heart. You can like do every, you can do many things to be ready for when the spirit is like, let me like that. Kindling is like, am I reading my Bible literally every single day? It, actually in the morning and at night, am I meditating on it? Am I saying no to sin? That's just like kindling. That's like, no, I'm gonna enjoy Jesus and not sin. Am I, am I spending time with people who love Jesus more than me? Like, that's all just kindling around your heart. Like, how, how is that going? And then another menial task for the priest 
in verse 10, uh, he had to change out of his clothes, put on some other clothes and like shovel the ashes and go take it outside the camp, come back in, get ritually clean, change his clothes. And this is interesting. Um, Did you know there was no janitor in the tabernacle or the temple? Did you know there wasn't like that guy's full-time job is to take the ashes and to do the fire? Did you know that the anointed of God priest's job was to scoop ashes and like ashes that had been burning animals in blood, scoop the ashes, change your clothes, go walk out, dump it, come back every single day. Do you know that the anointed priest did that job all the time? And that's communicating something about you and what it is to walk with Jesus is are you faithful in the little jobs that are not fun? And that you're like, why can't someone just do this? There was literally not a job that was too low for the anointed priest. There was literally no job. And uh, I, like, so for us, am I faithful to Jesus in things like the, the thing I hate most at my job? Am I faithful? Is this is worship unto the Lord? Things like our homework, things like honoring my word. When I say to someone, I'm going to do this to my hurt, I'm going to be faithful in this. Are we faithful in like showing up on time? And honestly, in ministry, like we all want to use our gifts and we all want to like, yes, and this is awesome. And I'm like up front and everyone's like, wow, look at how they like slay the lamb and just they're so good at that. Like no one's praising the, the priest for taking out the ashes. No one's praising the priest. Hey, good job. You guys, so much of ministry is faithful things that nobody notices. That, that is honoring to the Lord. And, and it's not wrong. We, have, we may have visible gifts and we, we get to do those. But much of life, if not most of life, is following Jesus in little things that nobody notices. And I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to be faithful. And then I'll end with this. Um, verse 6 and 11, it says, oh, verse 11, I mentioned this. He shall take off his garments and put on other garments and carry the ashes outside the camp to a clean place. You know what that reminds me of? Do you know another high priest who took off his garments and humbled himself to serve? Jesus laid aside heaven and became like dirt, like a human being, and lived. Jesus, the night before he's going to serve the world, like the night before he's going to do the hardest thing, he takes off his cloak he puts on a servant's towel and he's washing the feet of people who walked on dirt roads with like sandals. And I'm gonna wash their feet. Jesus, God, the King of Kings. And I would be feeling so like entitled, like I'm about to literally die for you. I'm about to wash your feet. And he served those under him. And then later that night, he was literally stripped naked and suffered and died on the cross serving us. Jesus is our high priest who is willing to humble himself and serve us. Jesus is our burnt offering who took the fire, the wrath, the holiness, the punishment of God on his own shoulders. Jesus is our holy priest and all that he touches becomes holy. And Jesus is faithful. He's faithful to you and to me in the little things of life. And he's willing right now to humble himself and be like, I want to be with you. I want to meet with you. I want to make you clean. I want to love you and carry you and meet with you. And so this is why uh, we spend a lot of time worshiping after 
we hear the word of God because um, it's time for us to like, actually put into practice, like come get like washed in the blood of Jesus. Come like fuel that fire, keep it going to be like filled with the Holy Spirit. Come like get served by Jesus and eat some communion. And remember his body was broken and his blood was poured out for your sin because he loves you that much. And we honestly, we have carpets here to just come be on your face. We're gonna have prayer teams on both sides. Like come confess your sin, come get prayer. And then you are actually all priests. Uh, There's this thing called priesthood of all believers. And so you are fully entitled and enabled and empowered and equipped to pray for one another. Um, For some of us, like me, if I were sitting in your seat right now, I would just want to do the ministering, but I would not want to be ministered to. I I have a sense that maybe there's some people in here who like, no, I'm good. I'm okay. I don't don't need to deal with that. I don't need to talk about that. I don't need to confess that. Um, I'd really just like encourage you to like open up and seek prayer. Get, get some prayer. Come be with Jesus. It's actually okay to not be uh, okay. It's okay to be broken. Remember that earthenware vessel had to be broken. When humans, we're, we're, we're like jars of clay and we're by design broken. And we need to be honest and we need to be filled up and we need to be encouraged and prayed for. So um, I'm gonna pray for us and invite the worship team up. And then we're just gonna have time to seek Jesus together, time to receive the goodness, the good news that Jesus loves me and has died for me and can make me clean. Jesus, thank you for your blood. Thank you that you are my priest, my high priest. That you're my burnt offering. Your blood was poured out for my sin. Thank you that you were able to make me clean once and for all. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence in the fire that comes from heaven and fills us up. Thank you for your Holy Spirit right now. We invite you into this room and into our hearts. We invite you into those areas that, that are unclean. We invite you, Holy Spirit, would you come and make us clean? Set us free, Lord, from our, our bondage and our sin and our pride. Set us free from the grips and chains of the enemy, God. Jesus, you are able to do that, to make us clean, to make us holy. Thank you for who you are and what you have done. Thank you for your word, Lord. Now, God, would you just bring, just allow us to enter your presence and to be with you.